Welcome to a new episode of the Creative Industry Insight Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby. Today, the doors of Saltburn have stayed open for us as we welcome costume designer Sophie Canali. In this episode, Sophie will discuss the creative process that was required to create various costumes for the film. Please be warned that there are heavy spoilers in this episode. Now let's jump into the conversation with Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Um, we're here today to talk about Saltburn, which feels like a recording that's been in the making a bit of time, uh, mainly because I've had your agents help me. I've had Deanna, who's sitting in. Thank you very much for helping us out to organise this. So it kind of feels like a. have had a lot of chefs help me uh, create this gourmet meal of an episode. So hopefully I won't fail. I'm sure you won't. No, this is brilliant. I'm so glad we've got this opportunity. Um, as I said earlier, we're here to talk about uh, Saltburn, um, which has just had its wide release in the US on Thanksgiving, and it's been out in the UK a number of weeks. It also had one of its premieres at London Film Festival. How have you found the reaction to the whole film and having uh, the premiere at something like London Film Festival? I think it's fantastic to be able to open, you know, a British film at, uh, at you know, at the British Film Festival, you know, at the London Film Festival. I think that's a, a prime place for it to be opening. Um, I've seen the film four times in varying kind of audiences, shall we say. And, you know, I really love the reaction that that is withheld and withheld within within the cinema um you know the gasps the silences the laughter I haven't you know it's like going to the theater I feel rather than you know the cinema there's such a, a reaction from the audience which is fantastic do you find that as like with different audiences um you get different reactions so I know in so I saw it at one of the screenings at London Film Festival it was sold out and yeah, the amount it's like such a it's one of those films you should see with audience because it's those reactions where if you're by yourself, it's like, am I allowed to laugh at this or should, would I be too morbid to laugh at this? But I guess once you start hearing other people laughing or gasping, then you're like, okay, I think I'm in the I'm in the clear to do it. Yeah, I think it really appeals to you know certain things, different things appeal to different ages. So and you can really kind of hear that within the audience as well. And I've always treated it as a period piece um, 15, 16 years ago, but things have changed and developed so quickly that, uh, you know, from a costume point of view, obviously the fashions have changed, but I think there are so many elements that people, the laughter and the grimaces and things like that, it's, it's, it brings reaction, it evokes. Also, so many people have said to me the following morning, following day, People are still thinking about it. You know, it's it's a film that that really provokes thought and is just holds with people, um, which I think is really exciting. And, you know, Emerald's such a clever writer um, and director that she's been able to kind of evoke so many uh, so many emotions in people. I think this is as one other guest told me this, um, that the director they're working with, Paul Schrader said that a film starts once you leave the cinema. And I guess when you evoke so much reaction, if it's positive, negative, people are still talking about it and still thinking about it now. And I guess that's like the power of films. It's like something, I don't know, it's very, you can't replicate that in any other mediums, I guess, with film and TV. I guess with music, it's slightly different because it's a... um, more of like a cognitive function that you will remember songs later on and yeah. your brain will process it slightly differently. But again, but with I get... cinema, you have so much, you have the music, you have the visual, you know, you take so much away from it. And I think that's, it's, it's a really clever thing to be able to do. And I, Emerald really captured people with this film. And I think on top as well, if you're, watching because films should be really for repeat viewing because there'll be things that you can always pick up on and catch so for something like this um there's always like the little hints that might be spreaded in or the little things that you might pick up on uh, again or even like sound cues as well um that you might miss about what's happening here what's going on here which is also something that um 
will stand out when something like this. Yeah. Um, I, I, so like when you're looking, at, you know, visually at the film, it's really interesting to have the the contemporary clothes in the juxtaposition of these period universities and the house. It's got this really, often when we think of these period, um, you know, buildings, you know, our mind goes back to, you know, the 40s or 18th century, you know, the periods that they were built in. And it's really interesting to have the 2000s, something so relatable where and nostalgic at the same time, though, to, to, to a lot of the audience in the sense of the, you know, the mobile phones, the clothing, the television, the film that's even the film that's shown in Saltburn. You know, it's there's a nostalgia in it to to an audience that is still can relate to, but also having the period houses and the and the sets is nostalgic with uh, you know English society. I think the the funniest thing I know we're slightly jumping, but the funniest thing about watching a film from an era that I grew up in as a teen and um, like the friends and family around me is the little nuances that you put in. So it's like the Ugg boots at the time that people, it was like mad craze at the time that people were yeah. going for. And then uh, also seeing like the Juicy Couture track suits that I think it was like Paris Hilton that really started that trend and the, that sort of look. And then also the polo shirts. I remember one of my friends going to Sports Direct getting a, a YSL polo shirt jumper baby blue combo and kind of thinking about all of that and it's just sort of looking back at anything man like I don't know if you kind of look at it you think were we actually really cool or did we dress really horribly at the time I don't know yeah exactly and like the Livestrong band as well I think you know the which Felix wears and he also has a help the heroes um band it's those little details that really capture the time but also so capture people's personalities in 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 how we you know how we were and are as people so you know those accessories all the devil in the detail when it comes to costume my film yes and it makes me laugh a little bit as well is the um as you said there's bands as well like they were all a craze and I remember like Nike made a special um like edition band as well just only releasing 500 or something stupid like that. It's all those little things as well that helps build the character and also the eye to detail that you're inserting and knowing that like from the planning stage to when they step on set in their uh, uh, costume, um, there's so much uh, going on around there as well. Um, before we dive into the costumes themselves, how did the project come about for you and what made you want to take it on? And, you know, I it was the first script, you know, I'd read after working on Bridgerton and it was amazing. And I, you know, I'd watched Promising Young Women and loved Emerald's work. And I just just felt like it was a project that was really, you know, for me. And I the writing was just incredible. So, um, yeah, I pitched for it. And, you know, a lot of my mood boards for my interview were my friends on Facebook. Um, I really like the reality of, of clothing. I that's what I what like to portray on screen. I think there's it's really important. And Emerald, you know, she likes a ladder and a tight and realism and you know, not everything sitting perfectly, you know, clothes are there to move. It's not editorial. And uh yeah, I just, you know, I had my interview with Emerald and, you know, we really clicked on that part that, you know, she wanted to portray reality in clothing. So, so yeah, we went from there. I think when you start talking about getting your research from Facebook, that, again, this will that make me laugh as well, just because it's the tool of, like, of the time, like, during that time, Facebook, you would always have to, everybody would have their what is it, Dis uh, not disposable, but like the uh, pocket-sized uh, digital cameras that everybody yeah. would take everywhere and then upload their nights out yeah. after. And, and and also there was no holds bar, like everyone put up every photograph. It wasn't like, oh, I don't want my bosses to see that. I don't want anyone to see this. It was just like, no, they're the photos I took that night and they're all going up there. So, you know, I thank my friends for doing that because it was great research for me for this job. I got in contact with people who were at Oxford and Cambridge, you know, during those years. They, they were friends of friends and, um, you know, went through all their kind of summer ball photographs and everything and was able to kind of take 
I really wanted to get that niche, you know, a couple of years because um, things can change so easily in a matter of years. So, yeah, they they were a really good help. And the student union as well, um, going onto their websites of the time really helped to get those student looks. It's amazing how you could say as well, like when you're talking to friends, how we, we used to post pictures, as you said, no problem. Now it's don't post anything because we don't want to get in trouble. Well, exactly. Or which has lost a bit of fun of it. Yeah, and well, social media was so new, you know, everyone was slightly naive to it, I feel, at the time. So, you know, so much has happened within the last 15 years and everything's developed. Yeah, and I think everyone was so excited about getting in contact with old school friends or, you know, um, people that you travelled with. It was a real tool. And um, so people wanted to share their lives with people that, that, you know, they may not have seen. Yeah, and to kind of see, look back at, like, because in the UK, we don't really have the school reunions like in America. So I guess Facebook was always a good tool of, oh, what's this person yeah, up to? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it was just exciting at the time that this platform, had, the world became smaller, you know, all you know, over a matter of weeks, months, you know. And then before you knew it, everyone was on Facebook and everyone knew what everyone looked like again. So, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, and and... You know, and along with Facebook, I also used a lot of editorials. I think looking at Vogue, um, being able to see who in society was in the it crowd, um, which actors, musicians, you know, looking at Kate Moss and Lily Allen and Kira Knightley and, you know, Sienna Miller of that time. And also then with the research of having Vogue online and Vogue magazine really as a platform to see what collections were out and then contact uh, fashion designers and then and fashion houses and go back into their archives and and were able to you know you know take be able to loan costumes from agent provocateur which were you know amy winehouse had worn in that you know in those years christopher kane was on the catwalk you know venetia wore um you know two pieces of christopher kane so did pamela and chanel were very fortunate to go back into their archives so it was really nice to have i think when you're doing contemporary pieces it's magazines you know online all of that is is such a useful resource you know rather than going back to books necessarily what i'm curious to know about as well is like how do you approach uh, fashion houses and sort of discuss your ideas and potentially getting pieces from the times is it a case of something that you've built up over the years as um contacts and then obviously there must be some sort of legal thing where they have to discuss about the usage of these items because they don't want their dress being used for something that could completely damage their brand for example oh of course you know there are always legal obligations within what's happening within the script pages and things so yeah it's a discussion I was very fortunate um you know Emerald had lots of contacts within fashion houses so you know we discussed which I reached out to a lot of people and they were so generous, everyone coming back, you know, wanting to be involved in in Emerald's project. So and then because I was working to a period, it was very much, you know, what was available from their archives of that time or how close could we get it to 2006, 2007. So I very much treated it like a period drama rather than kind of taking things from their their current collections. So it was going into the archives. And um and also knowing and understanding a character, being able to kind of brief people, also setting the scene and the colour palettes within within the scene I wanted. So so yeah, it's um as as in the same sense of a making, you know, and designing, it's still making sure that everything works as a collective. I guess in my mind, like as Someone who's not well-versed in fashion, shall we say, and someone who doesn't necessarily have an eye for it. And that's more on me because, I don't know, it just maybe that's just, I like what I like and that's it. If something's comfy, I'll go with it. But when it comes to um, uh, something in the film, so, for example, uh, we'll jump to Elizabeth's character, who is very, she's always dressed very very well and has a very distinct look to her I think there's like the backstory was like she used to be a model and uh, hang around yeah. a certain crowd uh, certain crowds how do you go about designing the look for her but then also how important is it for the materials uh, to look like that 
they've come from like a high-end fashion house. It's looking at different brands and building a collective. So instinctively, I wanted to have this re- relaxed look for Elspeth. There was, you know, a bohemian kind of edge, this this grand house that she was in, you know, looking at James, who was kind of a lot more uptight and, you know, very much dressed Piccadilly Cordings man. I wanted to have, Elspeth has lived, you know, she's had her party days and still loves them. So it's still making her fashionable but also a more relaxed kind of look as well. So I looked at, and it's constantly looking at designers within, it's getting into the character and looking out from their eyes of what they would pick. So, you know, having some nice vintage Aussie Clark pieces. So going back into vintage pieces, but then really pushing the boat out with, you know, some fantastic um, Valentino as well. So for the parties, but it's it's just styling someone in... um, In mood boards, originally, I just get some ideas together of how I want everyone to kind of, you know, as their character. And then speaking with Rosamond as well about how she sees, um, you know, Elspeth and also with Emerald as well. So there was definitely always an element of kind of, I think I had like Florence the Machine, you know, a very like kind of boho-esque, you know, there were like... Dolce & Gabbana was quite big at that time with floral pieces. And it was it was this floaty. I wanted her to float through the house as well. There was definitely the air of kimonos and things, you know, a relaxed, you know, in the same way that Jacob is He's so comfortable in their own skin. So, yeah. Yes, yes. I think there's, there's just a lot to take in in terms of always understanding the sort of various looks that one would go for. And then on top of that, uh, the different uh, scenarios in the film that will happen. So the times where they're sort of relaxing by the pool, for example, or just that sort of casual. But then in the evenings when they all have to dress up smartly for dinner as well, um, there will always be uh, certain looks that there will be Elizabeth would choose. Um, but as well, you want to reflect it on the character that she is, that she is yeah, a and free spirit. So- yeah, but also she takes so much pride in herself. And also there's a frivolous of, you know, of, you know, money as well that they, you know, there's always these new looks. It's not necessarily repeating costumes as well, because you want to visually give the audience an idea of how much wealth they have. So, and it is, it's, you know, it's buying a lot of items and during the fitting process is really kind of bringing people, you know, items together and, and establishing a look. But instinctively, I always wanted this kind of quite an element of Bohemian, at you know, at the back of, of her free spirit. Yes, I think there's always like that element of I have a free spirit, but I'm a free spirit because I'm quite wealthy and I can kind of do what I want. Um, and Exactly play with people in terms of they're kind of like that our pets might be a slight loose term should we say um for how people are treated and how they looked after um they're always happy to help until that person becomes a burden like dear poor Pamela uh, for example yeah and I think you know there's an openness but I think there's also an excitement as well from her character as well and then when it's I don't even think it's it's just oh, move on to the next because someone else is more exciting, really. That's kind of how she rolls. She she just wants to be in the centre of the gossip. And if, you know, she's had too much of one person, it's move on to the next. Yeah, exactly. As we uh, move on to the next set of characters, if we look at the, uh, should we say, the younger cast, we sort of discussed earlier about the um, sort of clothing that people would wear during the time. So your polo shirts and juicy coutures and all of that. But then we have uh, the character of Oliver, who there's obviously something up about him and spoilers. He's in on what is happening and is manipulating the whole situation. Now, when it came to designing for him, he's technically in a costume already in terms of it, it, would, it feels like he's in a costume within a costume if that makes sense so that he's playing up first... pardon when we first see him at the university yeah he's in that blazer sort of entire uh, shirt combo thinking that this is how you're supposed to dress when you turn up to uh, Oxford University and be the prim and proper person and then you look around and everybody's very casual so, so we say um, yeah 
And whilst he kind of develops that, there's always like little comments about him, about him being a bit off in terms of he gets his clothes from Oxfam and also at the ball, his tux doesn't fit. It's a rental. The leaves are slightly strong. Not, not, not leaves, sleeves, sorry. He, when it comes to designing these things and thinking about the character and the turn of that he has during the film, um, how do you go about planning the costumes that he's going to wear and creating a colour palette as well that's going to reflect the character that he is? I think when looking at Oliver, I, I really wanted the divide between, you know, social status and, and class. So everything that he wears is is from the high street and kind of you know, lower end normal in a sense. It depends who you talk to. And um, the idea of him arriving um, at university with a blazer and the freshly bought scarf, the freshly bought tie, you know, it's like, you know, it's the first day of school and he has an idea in his head that this is how university is going to be. This is how everyone, he's stepping into a new world in his mind. And then the shock of everyone in their pajamas, Ugg boots, Juicy Couture is just like the unexpected. But also I think that's really clever in the sense that I think there is, you know, there can be a divide and also a perception of how different groups are and how different classes are. So instinctively doing that with him, his costume also makes him sit out of place. But actually he's, you know, he's the working class lad, but he has dressed like he thinks that everyone else will dress, which is a lot smarter. So yes, we did that for a reason just to kind of, gets an understanding of how Oliver you know it was and his background um and the awkwardness as well that he feels as soon as he's there realizing that this isn't the place that he thought it was and then also then going through his university days there's very muted grays greens very basic kind of sweatshirt there's a dullness to his check shirts and and that's what I wanted um everyone to kind of perceive that in comparison to the colourful kind of casual, there was still an uptightness about him, but also just quite bland, really. And then as he's, you know, moving into the group and kind of getting into the world and the gang, his uh, colour palette kind of develops and and is mainly in the blues um, throughout the whole um, the whole film, really. I think that's something that stands out is that is the blues that he wears and the sort of more of a navy colour, which I can kind of relate to because a lot of my um, clothes are navy blue. So it's when I saw that, I was a bit like, Oof. It's a very safe colour and it's the most used colour in, in, you know, in fashion, really. If you go into any, you know, store, you know, blue is constantly used. Um, as a costume designer, it's always conscious effort when doing contemporary shows not to use so much blue because it's so easy to buy everything but with Oliver it was really you know wanting to make him ease and sit into into his character and also but not be too prominent as well with the characters around him you know it's safe it's a safe color and I think that's how we wanted him to be but also with the choices you know, you've got Felix in his Ralph Lauren and his Tommy Hilfiger and his Gant and, you know, Abercrombie's. But with Oliver, you know, there's no, you know, there's no logos. The, the polo shirts are plain. I didn't want to bring any labels or any distinction into any of his clothes because he's doing the cheaper version, basically. And, you know, that comment gets his clothes from Oxfam, just literally his you know his clothing isn't labeled so they look down on that if it doesn't have a label then what you know what is it and and especially with teenagers and university when people are within their tribes and they have this etiquette or they labels matter basically so that's why I didn't use anything on him even yeah even down to his shoes really so yeah does that make it harder to buy for for him or does it make it easier because now so many different items of clothing have labels on them or little logos that they've sewn on um or do you have to get someone to um do a costume breakdown and st and unstitch labels or peel off the labels if they've been um ironed on 
Yeah, it, you can't even do that because you can see where they've been. But no, it is a yeah. We found a couple of brands, but it wasn't easy. Everything, everything's for show. Oh, that must be an absolute nightmare for the buyer to be like, I found the perfect thing, but there's a small loan. Well, also, it. well, also, it was really difficult for the buyers as well. One because um, purchasing things on the high, you know. I was treating this as a period drama and these costumes were not in the, um, they're not in the costume houses yet. They're not on the high street because the high street is either contemporary to now or the nineties are so back. So, and like the detail with even ribbing on t-shirts or the roundness of a collar or the deepness of the V I'm very particular in how I see things. And, you know, they'd come back and I was like no it's too contemporary or it looks too 90s so you know all those you know details with the line that's in within the imprint of um of a collar uh polo shirt you know we didn't have that it was that's too contemporary so yeah I was so particular with these choices so a lot of our buying was um vintage depop ebay we were buying clothes out the back of people's wardrobes so so yeah <laughs> it was wild again it, amazing to think that like even though it's uh contemporary and it's 18 years ago soon um that it was that the film was set in that you can that it'll be so difficult to buy clothes but then also on top of that that costume houses do, do not st stock anything because i just think probably in their mind it's like people aren't going to be making films and i think they're slowly going towards the 80s and 90s vibes coming in but like it's not the amount that we needed so there was a few you know I think it will be growing because from our stock and things like that and um but you know the high street how people shop has changed so much um in in the, the time period and there's so many brands that don't exist anymore either you know um so high streets change you know we don't have top shop you know on the high street we don't have kukai jane norman abercrombie and fit you know so many things have changed that it was really like using our resources well to be able to, you know, literally buy buy them from people's wardrobes. It was pretty crazy and, you know, a very time-consuming challenge, but also great fun. There must have been someone who was selling so much out of their wardrobe, they're probably thinking, finally, <laughs> I can get rid of all of this. And then there must be some sort of lingering thing in their mind thinking, hang on a second, why is... Uh... Why are these people buying all my clothes? You know, hopefully it's there not was a woman. Yeah, there was a woman in Swansea that I ended up having communication with because she had so much stuff that I was like, I'm actually a costume designer. And can you just send me every photograph of what you're selling? And that worked out really well. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think she, that, she probably must have thought I've hit the jackpot. Um, let's uh, <laughs> literally get everything. Um, <laughs> but moving on to the other younger cars, so Farley. So we have Farley, Venetia, and Felix. Um, we've touched upon them in terms of having very branded clothing, but then also, um, I think their clothing will reflect how they are as people. So I think I read another uh, article that you did an interview in where Felix's look was very relaxed I don't really care but there was always even though I was the relaxed I don't really care look you know a lot of effort has gone into it because it is the um, wristbands it is uh, the way that your collar is going to fall when you've got a polo shirt on um, and then same with like Fardy for example that it is that oh I'm a kooky sort of person but you know a lot of thought has to go into uh, what they're going to wear um, and especially depending where they're going as well. Yeah, I think Farley and Felix are very, very different characters and, and approach their costumes and their fashion in very different ways. Felix loves his fashion, but has such an ease in being able to wear anything and in such a relaxed fashion, but not kind of over, you know, it's a shirt, it's a pair of jeans and it's a pair of loafers or trainers. He's done. And, you know, those wristbands from his traveling you know his gap year that he's just been on you know they they hold those memories and also I think there's trends that work with teenagers and with the Livestrong band and also the help the heroes band you know they were such trends of that that period that he you know would naturally you know be the cool kid that would would carry these trends that people would follow so 
he's interested in clothing, but very much wears it with such ease. Where I feel that Farley, on the other hand, is so interested in in fashion and wants to, you know, he is my less period correct character within the whole film. And we really played with vintage pieces and modern pieces just to kind of give him this air of, he's just an interesting character that that loves playing around with clothes. And also, you know, he's a, he's a rule breaker in every single way. And that's nice to be able to portray that with clothing as well, that he, yes, has money, he loves fashion, but also that he doesn't want to sit within, he doesn't need to fit within the group. He, his rule breaking, he doesn't need to have the pop collared polo shirt, you know, the same jeans as everyone else. He doesn't want to follow the crowd. He's, you know, he's the lone wolf. He's happy looking different and, and wanting to, to, you know, prove himself visually in different ways because he's such a strong character in his own right. Yeah, in terms of like, you're right, in terms of he's a rule breaker and he's going to go for looks that really bring out his character. And I think he has those, I think what plays with it is, as well is like he, you notice his height a lot more in the film um, compared to other characters. And maybe that's just me because I'm just, I try to be as, because I'm doing these uh, recordings, I try to be as observant as possible. But you see that in maybe the way that his trousers fit and um, how they're a little bit shorter at the bottom. But please tell, correct me if I'm completely wrong and I've missed it completely. No, no, no. I think, you know, both Felix, well, Archie and Jacob are the a similar height. But I think probably you notice um, Archie's figure more because he's in a lot slimmer clothes. And which is kind of a more of a contemporary or like look at or 70s inspired look, really, where, you know, um, the 2000s, everyone wore baggy clothes. So having um, having the distinction of of the inspired 70s look on on Farley is uh, visually just you kind of see it differently because it's so different to the 2000s baggier, baggier shirts and jeans and, and boot cut jeans. His outfit is just perfect for who he is as well. And he looks really, I don't know, just looks very well put together and very, in terms of like the colour schemes as well and the way that it fits. I don't know, just there's, there's something about it that you know, just like chef's kiss for him. Yeah, I wanted uh, Farley to have a, a distinctive style of his own, really, and um, not fall into the the following the crowd and and looking the same as as the other the others within the group and i think you know we often as people end up wearing clothes of similar to our friends and we've all got we all end up in our little tribes be it i don't know football casuals to punks to you know city boys it's very much clothing represents who we are but also Often it represents who we, you know, who we're friends with. And definitely during the school years and university years, sticking out, you know, often people do not want to do. Farley is the complete opposite. He is all about looking different and not wanting to be part of the crowd. Yes, with them um, as friends, but visually, now he's on his own path and he wants to look distinctive. Yes, and yeah. I think it also reflects that as well in terms of, He's a slight outsider in the family uh, because of um, his mum going off to America at a young age. And then he's come over and the family are looking after him. I also sort of want to touch upon the towards the climax of the not climax, but, but towards the near, nearer to the third act of the film, uh, where we have a Midsummer Night's Party. I think us in sort of British culture, it's like the... The whole, like Shakespeare is something that's really important in terms of as actors learning it, but then also as audience members going back to see various iterations of uh, his plays, if it's with going to the Globe or seeing it in the local uh, theatre group. Um, there's always like a new spin that people manage to put on his stories. Now, when it comes to something like this, uh, where did you begin in your design process and understanding how you wanted to create and create your costumes uh, using the Midsummer Night's theme. 
I really wanted to initially create, look at individual characters for the Midsummer Night's Dream and see how they were placed. So, you know, looking at Elspeth, for instance, and her being Titania, like the, the queen of the fairies. So, you know, but still having this fashion element. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, creating costumes for a theatre or for the play. It was very much taking hints and elements from the storylines and being able to um, put them um, to our characters. Because at the end of the day, it is a 2000s fancy dress party. So having the opportunity to work alongside Valentino and be able to loan in a fantastic dress, which, you know, was this beautiful gold dress for Elspeth, also had this amazing kind of leaf structure as well. It was very organic. And I think very much when looking at Midsummer Night's Dream, it was going back and looking at, looking at British folk, inspiration and fairies and I really felt that dress worked really well because of the texture and the kind of leaf pattern within it and then just adding a simple detail of gold um, fairy wings which are a jewellery piece uh, which she wears at the top of her ears so then that gives a subtle hint to to the fairy world. There's a lot that goes on in the designing part part of that um, and I like the the gold dress with that yeah, Elizabeth wears is stunning and it does look incredible. And, and as well that like having those certain colours pop from going from that dusk to the sort of um, evening as well is quite a feast for your eyes to look at. But I think you look at oil pictures that you posted on Instagram, which again, are really cool sort of pieces to look behind behind the scenes of how a costume is going to look on someone. And instead of, I guess, um, if you were explaining that they'll be wearing this sort of jacket, this, that, the other, you start getting these uh, images in front of people. And then it's like, you can really understand what you're going for from the designing to actually what happens on screen and the little details that you put in. So Oliver's, for example, on his jacket, it was something I can't remember what what's on it from the top of my head without having the image in front of me, but it was something to do with in war that they would have certain emblems on there uh, to state that they've won. Um, so I think it was I think it's something to do with like the branches. Yeah. So originally I was looking at folk um, costumes, uh, British folk costumes, festivals in different counties, really, and coming across suiting and and floral decoration um, within these period pieces and, and traditional costumes. And then wanting to have quite an iconic look for um, Oliver. Emerald and I were discussing him being in a lighter colored suit. It was gonna be shot at night. So we wanted him to stand out. Um, and then having inspiration from um, images and paintings of traditional traditional costumes. And within that, I was looking at the acorn and the oak leaf. And these are used very much as um, symbols within the military and also to represent power. And so I was decided to kind of, there's an underlying element of Oliver that we're not quite sure of at that time in the film, but, you know, power is to come. And I wanted to have this kind of Easter egg of an underlying that he is, he, he knows what he's doing. So, yeah, using the acorn and the oak leaf was a kind of a symbol of power for him. So, yeah. And also there are moths also hidden in the embroideries as well, because, um, you know, he is still that moth to the flame. When you're adding these sort of little hints in, what are the discussions like with uh, Emerald and also maybe um, Linus, the cinematographer, but then also with the with uh, Sean Miller, the hair and makeup designer? Um, because obviously you kind of all want to pull it in the same direction, but you're adding things in. So like a white suit, for example, a light might be bouncing off them. But then also, if you're talking with Sean about the hair and makeup, how it's going to complement one another so that it doesn't, one doesn't sort of overshadow the other. I think that's the amazing thing about working with Emerald um, is 
that it's constantly able to collaborate and discuss things because she's a writer and director you know there's so much in it's her baby and you um, are able to really communicate and also you know collaborate together with camera tests so the amount of being able to tech the fabric so it works in a sense that it doesn't bounce the light putting white fabric on screen is not something we necessarily do unless you know we really want that powerful brightness but with um with um it's being you know the fabric was you know that suit was made um the fabric was dyed various colors and then we would uh camera test them all um in the light that we were going to shoot in and also there is varying lights through through those scenes so we were able to with Linus um to camera test it and then choose one that we thought was appropriate um and then start the 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 making process so so yeah so that's really you know it is such a collaboration with every single department uh to go through yes and even hearing about like camera tests where there's probably a lot that goes there's there is a lot that goes into that sorry where you could probably play around with your looks and think okay yeah we've nailed it we've got it we're going to be ready for day one of the shoot as well yeah and i think also colors and tones of costume is something that emerald really likes to use for the tone of the the scene and you know um on the day it was often which colored t-shirt should should barry wear as oliver you know to really set the tone or if we wanted to lift it you know was it a lighter gray was it a dark so and I, you know, I really appreciate that. And I love working like that because I really think that the tone and colour of the costume can really set the mood. Yes. And I guess as well, like as an audience, it's like subconsciously colours will always pop out or feel a certain way and make you feel a certain way, which is always like, again, not to dive too much into the science of it all, but it's always incredible what the human mind can uh, take in and what your senses can take in as well from what you're seeing. Yeah, I think it's really important to use colour as a tool to guide your audience into the emotion that you you know, you want them to feel. I think it's really important. There's such a subtlety with colours or, or you can be overpowered by colour and from both of those you can you know, really create different emotions. And that's with the lighting or the colour of the costume or both, you know. It's very much a collaboration, but it's nice to be able to work within a you know within a team and have a all be based um at the house our unit base was there you know we were always there together it was very easy to communicate with everyone because we were all at the same location as well yeah and if you're all in the same place it definitely helps uh, quite a lot going from experience just because i know we're slightly pressed for time um, I did want to have. Uh, I do want to just speak about uh, Venetia's outfit for the bits of a night stream because it's a black dress with a uh, spider sort of pattern, which feels like a, a, another sort of message for what's happening in the film that people are getting slowly. The the web of lies have closed in a little bit on Oliver, so we think. But then again, the web starts to grow a big again uh, later on. Uh, what was the idea behind that, creating that look? Having discussed uh, Venetia's costume with, with Emerald and wanting the cobweb dress to be, to symbolise the web of lies, but also the, you know, the growing web of entanglement as well. So we found a really lovely image that inspired us and wanted to, we discussed should it be a knitted piece you know and then but wanted it to be structural as well rather than you know a print or something kind of flat so then I spoke with um very talented uh jeweler Fiona Barty and we were able to collaborate together to create this you know jewelry piece of a dress which was a separate cobweb from chains and using tiny dew drops as um crystals but also as as water that had been captured into this web and I feel that the dress really needed to symbolize how 
how everyone was really feeling at that time. All these lies were going on around them. And it was just maybe the spider that's within that dress is is Oliver being able to spin his his web of lives and take everyone from around him into into his uh into his web. I think that's probably my favorite design out of them all, just because it's uh, maybe just as like creatively is the idea of it that the connotations behind it, but then also visually it does look really cool and that it's all sort of spread out and has the complementary of like the black dress and then the what is it is it silver part of it i guess um might be the best so the silver chain so there's a black dress underneath that we had made and also the silver chain cobweb dress over over the top but emerald still wanted this kind of 2007 like this sluttiness to it so it was like how low do we you know how high do we go with the hemline you know how low do we go there was you know we never as much you know it's a beautiful piece and a masterpiece there were many many fittings for this dress because every time a chain was added the weights changed and being able to fit it onto Allison so everything sat perfectly but there was still an element that we didn't want to make it too glamorous um so the shortness of the black dress underneath skinny straps and you know just the tightness then kind of gave it this this kind of priceless cheapness in a way which the dress is is not by any means for the craftsmanship is so beautiful in it so it was a it was a real challenge um to to design but great fun um just to sort of piggyback on the challenge of it all how do you go about doing something like that because there's always I'm just guessing this is just um, what I'm going to assume is that you would design it and then once you have a fitting you have an idea of how much you should cut and then doing another fitting with it or is it a case of taking an extra bit of time on it and working on how it should be sitting on the actor? Uh, every you know every item of costume that you design and make works differently sometimes you can make something and it comes straight off the page and you know onto an actor's body and it works I think with working as a jewelry piece too it's very much a process of how you know working to the figure of the actor and how structurally you want to see it visually as it as it grows really so every single fitting you know there were tweaks um just because of the weight of the gems and 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 the length of of each each chain so you know there was a couple of fittings of a process and then as soon as you know Fiona was you know who's extremely talented had kind of got the the look that I wanted then she was able to run with that and then and do her magic. I guess as a uh, audience member, average Joe, you kind of don't think about certain things like that and how what would go into the design and how much needs to be thought about at the time. And sort of going from there as well and the sort of intricate details and things that you've put into place as well. Because I'm I'm guessing you'd have the black dress, but then the top silver part of the dress is that created by hand or is the whole piece sort of purchased somewhere that you can kind of add it on afterwards so with um with both the combinations of um the dresses one uh for venetia the black dress underneath was made by um, a costume maker cutter and then the over dress is made by a jeweler so by hand so these are two separate items that we collaborate um we bring, you know, bring everyone together and then work together in making sure all the lines match. So initially being able to make the silver dress, uh, all the chain jewellery, and then when that is at a certain stage, we were able to then fit that on Alison and be able to make the lines, uh, understand the lines of where the black dress underneath needs to follow the neckline needs to follow everywhere so it's very much a collaboration and the stages also change because as soon as you add more chains to then the dress 
the neckline may change. So, you know, there was probably about seven costume fittings for that that dress alone, both those dresses alone, to collaborate together for them to make work and also to, you know, to make sure the movement works and also, you know, Alison to be able to to be able to move in it. You know, um these costumes they they have a job to do in themselves. They they are worn and everyone needs to be able to do movement and physically do anything in them. So, you know, we have to make sure while in the fitting process that as well as everything looks great, that they, they work. That's a lot, a lot of fittings if people are coming in, in and out with it. And then the little details, yeah. like if somebody, if you have to add something on or even take stuff off, it must be like a bit of a sort of pull your hair up moments where you think oh this is going to be a bit too much it's going to be a bit too much or a bit too little I think I think the process of costume design and making is you know it's a long process you know it takes time it's hawkature you're making to someone's body but that's the it is those little details it's adding that that one dew drop if that changes the weight of it you know it's not going to be it's it's not going to be perfect and you know we're all perfectionists and and love what we do so it's it's just making sure and getting those fittings and making sure it's right yes and i guess that's like the art of your job as well is the finer details that you put in and being that sort of clay for an actor to add to their characters to understand that even though this is maybe how they act, this is what they're wearing, they're going to be wearing and what they're going to be comfortable in and how they're going to look as well. Yeah, it's um, it's a collaboration and a costume is very much being able to, the actors to step into literally someone else's shoes and being able for them to develop their characters in in, in clothing. And I feel that working alongside a director and actor, everyone comes to these characters with different ideas and, you know, all the same ideas. Um, but it's being able to make the actors feel comfortable in, in the characters that they're becoming. And I really love that moment in a costume fitting where you can really see an actor kind of go yeah this is it this is yeah this is the character so um it's a really lovely journey to be on be with them and um that's why I love costume design it's about people it's about characters we all choose to to wear the clothes we do every day um some people think about it and some people don't and I think I love being able to put that onto screen if people you know everyone's individual character and visually how they look I feel like that is the most perfect way to end this episode. Sophie, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for speaking with me. And also thank you to Diana as well for organising this. Um, Saltburn is out now in cinemas. Go out, watch it, enjoy Sophie's work and appreciate the fine craft and effort that, they, that she and her team have put into it. Thank you. Thank you again. You take care and bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.